0: Hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, um, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I do want to make an opening statement about this morning's sermon. Um, I encourage you to pull out your sermon notes. Um, uh, uh, There may be a chance that this sermon turns into a part 2 sermon, um, depending on how far we get here. Um, So I just kind of want to give that to you. Uh, Here's what's coming up. I want to give you kind of a a roadmap for the next few weeks as we um, embark on this new series um, called Marriage and Family. Uh, If part two might happen next week, um, if that doesn't happen next week, then we're going to do a sermon called uh, um, Intimacy in Marriage, which is just a euphemism for, um, you know, Sex in, in marriage. So, we're actually going to talk about that here at church because this may blow your minds. You might not have known this. God actually was the one who created sex. That's shocking, right? It's like, whoa, whoa, but it's in the Bible. In fact, there's a whole book devoted to it. Um, and so, we're going to talk about that possibly next week if we don't need a part two. And then we have a sermon um, called Faith at Home. And really, the heartbeat of that sermon is how do we As parents or grandparents or singles in preparation to maybe one day being parents, how do we as parents create a culture within our homes that has a stronger pull than the culture out there? So that when your kids go to school, doesn't matter what school they're gonna go to. It can be public, I went to public school, it can go to be private Christian school, also went to one of those too. Let me tell you that there are some differences, but both people sin in each one. Pretty significantly. Of course, not me though, it was my friends. I tell you my friends every time. But, but how do we create a culture in the home where our kids, when they leave the home, the decisions have already been made up. I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do that. Because mom and dad created such a culture so strong that it outweighs any culture they face. So you can tell I'm pretty fired up about that sermon. And then here's, here's what's going to happen. The last sermon... Um, is kind of open. I haven't decided I might have to do a part two, um, so maybe I'll just, it's, it's, things are going to kind of be bumped out. Um, but if I don't do a part two, and, and I can get all of this content in one, and I'm already running behind, um, but if we don't do a part two here, I'm kind of going back and forth between preaching on um, disciplining your kids at home because still trying to figure that one out, and can I get an amen from some parents in here? <laughs> Some of you have grown kids and you're like, still working on it, man. Still working on it. Um, so, either that or a really surprise topic I've never preached about or divorce. What does the Bible say about divorce? So maybe you can help me here. So I just gave you one of two subjects. Um, you've got option A, disciplining your children. You've got option B, our favorite topic, divorce. I kind of already know the answer here. Um, but raise your hand if you'd rather hear a sermon. If you don't care, don't raise your hand. But if you're like, okay, I would need that. If, if you would prefer a, a biblical sermon on disciplining your kids, raise your hand. Okay. Um, raise your hand if you would like to hear a sermon on what the Bible says about divorce. Okay, um, half the people who raised their hand went, went like this. <laughs> kind of shook their head. That was kind of an even vote. I'm going to pray about it. How's that sound? Um, all right, Ephesians chapter 5 um, is where we're going to be. And, and uh, last week, Bruce launched us off with in, in this series by talking about... Um, This reality that God has created you and I in such a way that really the tendencies in one generation become the traits in the next. That you and I, growing up, those first 18 years of our life are so overwhelmingly formidable. This is not just biblical, amen it is, but every psychologist out there would tell you the same exact thing. Those first 18 years are so formidable for you that before you even get into marriage, before you even have your first child, much of the model of your marriage has already been decided how you're gonna treat your spouse, how you're gonna react to your spouse, how you're gonna love your spouse, how you're going to or not going to repent to your spouse, and the likewise is true when it comes to your parenting. We come in with the blueprints already laid out, the foundation is there for better or worse. And in some cases, this is really, really good because I had a daddy that was really godly, and I had a mom that laid her life down for me. But I also grew up in a divorced home. My parents divorced before I can I have no memory of them being together. That hint into that divorce sermon, that was not God's plan. And so I kind of grew up with some really firm foundations, but also grew up with some kind of broken foundations. And when we go into marriage, as Bruce pointed out, we carry that with us. And we need to be really mindful about what kind of baggage or what kind of foundation we have when it comes to marriage and when it comes to parenting. And here's the great thing about the gospel is he can rebuild the foundation. Can I get an amen? He can completely repave the foundation, as Bruce pointed out. And so today, I want to give us maybe a different set of blueprints that you grew up with for marriage. And it's God's vision. It's God's model for marriage. And so this is a very massive text. I'm going to, by God's grace, do my best to preach through all of it. Um, and again, it might turn into a part two sermon. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to read through this whole entire text, and, uh, and, then, and then we'll go from there. Ephesians 5, I'm going to start in verse 21, which precedes really the, the bulk of the passage. Verse 22 and verse, through verse 33 is about husbands and wives. Verse 21 is about everyone, child, married. Male, female, etc. Verse 21, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes this. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Or in other words, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, verse 22. Wives, it's your favorite verse in all of the Bible. I know that it is. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I made a joke, by the way. I, that, that Too soon, too soon. okay. Wives, submit... Only the men laughed on that one. Thank you, man. <laughs> wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives... He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I'm going to pray for us. Gracious Father, this is your holy word. It's not my word. It's your word. Father, may we not simply be obedient to your model in marriage. Father, would you have us rejoice in walking in your model in marriage? Father, I pray that you would speak to every single heart here, even the singles in this room, even, even the young people in this room, even the unmarried in this room. I know that you've got a word for them. Would you speak to them. Father, I have to imagine that there's some husbands and wives here that are not, their marriage is not in line with what you have. Father, would you you do a miracle today and work in both of their hearts, especially the husband's heart, to align their marriage with your model of marriage? Father, most of all, would you give us all hearts that experience and feel the weight and the wonder of your glory, God, in the gospel, that we as husbands and wives and single people would be overwhelmed by your covenant love for us, Jesus. Do that miracle in every heart this morning. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I think sometimes this, this passage can um, simply be referred to as the wives submit to their husbands passage. Um, or maybe the wives submit to their husbands and husbands love your wives passage. That, that, that's, that's this passage. And I hope that we don't undermine this passage by calling it that, because within this passage is not just a call for a distinct role, a distinct divine role for a wife and for a husband, but what we see in here is so much more than that. And what I want to lead us through this morning is what we see in this text is the purpose of marriage. You ever thought what the purpose of marriage is? Men, before you got down on your knee, did you? could you answer that question? The purpose of my marriage, the purpose of our marriage is going to be... This passage gives us the purpose of marriage. And then it goes beyond that and it begins to talk to us about what are the divine... Very strategic about words here. There's no throwaway words here. The divine calling, the divine role for a wife. And if you didn't catch it, husbands, the divine role. Calling for the different roles, roles for a husband. Verse 22, 23, 24, speak to wives. 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, speak to husbands. Nearly three times as many verses for you husbands. Why? Your role is massively more heavy. And so we're going to get there. And then where I want to end, and and if we don't end there today, we'll end there next week, is I want us to get practical here. What does it look like for you, husbands, to walk in the roles that God has given you? What does it look like, um, wives, for you to walk in the role that God's called you to? Um, And and I want to just say that it's going to be far more principle driven than practically driven. And what I mean by that is husbands, the kind of way that your wife needs to be loved and cared for, I've just found, is maybe not necessarily the way my wife needs to be loved and cared for. And so what we see in this text are some principles. And what you need to do is you need to go home and you need to bring your sermon notes with you and do these his and her questions on the front and on the back and walk through them so you can get really practical in in marriage here. So here we go. We need to start with the purpose of marriage first. What is the purpose of marriage? I would submit to you that our culture, and I think that we often walk in line with our culture in this area, at least I know I did when I got on one knee with Melissa. I thought the purpose of marriage is happily ever after. The purpose of marriage is to be 80, 90 years old, holding her hand as one of us dies. Now, she's a little bit older than I am, and all the men said, amen. 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 You know what's up? You know what's up? That's a whole different story, and it started with me being in seventh grade, and her as a senior, and me having a crush. Glory to God. You want to know if, you want to believe that God is real? (laughs) Hello. I married her. She didn't know who I was in seventh grade, but I knew who she was, and the Lord knew. Where was I? Merit. Merit. Purpose of marriage, yes, yes. Happily ever after. To, to be 90, be 85. And like I said, Melissa's a little bit older, but women typically, you know, live a little bit longer. So maybe it's going to be like that whole scene in the notebook. I've never seen the movie like eight times um, where they like hold hands and die together. Like we watched that movie and we're like, purpose of marriage right there. Nicholas Sparks. I don't know his name either. Nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it. And... um, And and I think often we we go there. That's the purpose of marriage. And so therefore, the, the barometer that measures success in our marriages is happiness. The barometer of how successful your marriage is based on this purpose of happiness. So if I'm this happy in marriage, okay, you know what, that, that's not quite to the top, but that I'm pretty successful. Okay, we're, we're both really not that happy in marriage, so clearly things aren't successful. And somewhere along the lines, we hit this low point where we're like, okay, really not happy, so we should probably just throw in the towel together. And that's maybe why we need to preach on divorce at some point as a church. But is that the purpose of marriage? Happiness? I love this passage because it just straight up tells us. Look at Ephesians 5 at the very end. Verse 31. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This right here, the Apostle Paul is quoting the very first statement made about marriage. Back in Genesis 2. This is God's statement. Look at what he says next. He says, this mystery is profound. What's he mean, this mystery is profound? He's speaking of that statement. He's saying, you know that statement that God makes about marriage, that statement that a husband shall leave his wife, or excuse me, not that, leave his father and mother. I'm just making sure y'all paying attention. None of you got that. Come on, listen up. Uh, A a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become flesh, one flesh. Paul's going, okay, that, that right there, this right here, it's a mystery, a profound one. Now, that word mystery is not the word mysterious. The word mysterious means it's puzzling, it's baffling. Okay, I don't, I don't get it. I can't get my mind around it. The word mystery is something that's been perplexing, something that's been mysterious, and now it's been made clear. Like, you ever watch those Sherlock Holmes movies? Like if you watch them, it's a bit infuriating because almost all of it does not make any sense and then you get to the last 10 minutes and you're like, oh, I get it. Finally, made clear. And Paul is going for hundreds of years, this this uh, this man leaving a father and mother and holding fast to his wife this picture of marriage the purpose of it it's 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 been mysterious it's been hidden hidden from you but now it's made clear and he says i am saying that it marriage is referring to christ and the church to put it more simply The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying, you know what the purpose of marriage is? The purpose of marriage is to be a picture, a parable of Christ's covenant love for us. It's a picture. It's a parable. It's a picture of a greater reality. It is a parable of a greater truth. It's a picture of Christ's love for you and I. You know why Jesus says there will be no marriage in the resurrection? You know that one? That's bothered some people. Not, I want to be married. And then it sets some people free. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Clearly not Christians are praising that. But, but I think we're baffled by why, why wouldn't I be married? To that person when I get to heaven. Because in heaven there are no pictures. In heaven there are no parables. But on earth there is. On earth marriage is a parable of Christ's love for you and I. That's the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage, if I put this more clearly... The purpose of marriage is for you to both display and experience the covenant love that Christ has for you. To display it to the world to see, this is a picture of a greater love that you all have if you know Jesus. It's an opportunity for you and I to experience the depths of Christ's love for us when our spouse deeply sins against us and we forgive them and we get to taste what it was like maybe for God to forgive us. It's a parable. Your marriage is a parable of Christ's love for you. And if you get this, if you see this, this profoundly resituates and redefines what success ought to look like in your marriage. So what does success look like in marriage? What is the barometer of of measuring how successful your marriage is, my marriage is, based upon this purpose of marriage being a parable? I I would submit to you that, that the barometer of how successful we are is how, faithfully, how faithful you are in living out, or I put it this way, reenacting the gospel with your spouse. What do I mean by that? You may go, okay, well, what does that even mean, reenact the gospel? So in the gospel, Christ forgives you of all of your sin. And do you deserve it? Not even close. So Christ forgives you of all of your sins. And you and I, we don't deserve it. So to reenact the gospel is for your spouse to sin against you. Maybe in some deep, profound ways that you're still hanging on to. And you forgive them, not because they deserve it, but because Christ has done it for you. In the gospel, we have this calling to repent of our sins. To receive the gospel, to repent of our sins. So, to reenact the gospel is for you to sin against your spouse, and in humility, you go to them and say, I have sinned against you, I repent. Don't be the husband. Don't be the wife to sin against your spouse and go, well, you know, they know I sinned against them. So I'll just silence his agreement. I agree I did wrong. Don't do that. Go to them and say, I blew it. I messed up. I actually sinned against you. That's reenacting the gospel. And by reenacting the gospel with your wife, by reenacting the gospel with your husband, you are both displaying and experiencing the gospel and this incredible covenant love that Christ has for you. And so in the gospel, Christ is for you and not against you. In the gospel, Christ is overwhelmingly generous to you and I. In the gospel, Christ is very merciful. Christ is gracious. In the gospel, Christ serves us. In the gospel, Christ lays down his life for us. And so in our marriage, may we reenact the gospel by being for our spouse. May we reenact the gospel by being generous, by being merciful, by being gracious. May we reenact the gospel by serving our spouse. May we reenact the gospel by literally laying our life down. May we reenact the gospel. That is the purpose of your marriage. Now, now, now let let me just ask you here. What would your marriage look like if both your husband and your wife we're continually reenacting the gospel. What would happen if your husband would continually repent of his sin, and if you continually re- you continually forgave? What would your marriage look like if you continually woke up and looked at your spouse and said, okay, I want to serve you today. What can I do to serve you? What can I do to help you? What would your marriage look like if you continually gave your spouse grace because you know that they're just kind of cranky today or you know they had a hard day with the kids or you know they really didn't mean what they said. It just kind of came out that way. What would happen if your marriage was continually reenacting the gospel? I would submit to you, you would have a far more joyful marriage, far more delightful marriage than any husband and wife out there pursuing happiness as their purpose. Reenact the gospel. I could end the sermon series pretty much right here. Just go and reenact the gospel. And, And if I can just add this with a heavy heart, reenact the gospel. I think one of the greatest gifts, it is now my prayer, this has now become my life mission for myself and for this church for the next however many years God would allow me to serve here, that we would be a people that is overwhelmed with wonder about Christ. That we would not be flippant about our salvation. That we would not be flippant about what Christ has done for us. Hey, he died on the cross for me. Oh, that's great. Yeah. No. Jesus laid down his life for us. And the heavier your heart is from, from the weightiness of the gospel, I promise you, the more joyous you will be in forgiving your wife. I can't wait to forgive her. Because one, she barely ever sins against me. And two, I get to experience giving forgiveness as Christ did. Go reenact the gospel in your marriage. So what would it look like if we did that? I think profound joy. We should have the most joy-filled marriages in the world. In the world. Your neighbors should... Should not understand your marriage because it's filled with such grace. Okay, we've got to get the purpose because if we don't get the purpose, we're going to struggle with verse 22 very significantly in our culture. Verse 21, let's talk about the roles, let's talk about the model. I want to start, I'll start in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So, we am going to make an opening observation, and then we've got to make a, an opening objection. The opening observation we must see is the the Apostle Paul does not simply say wives submit to your husbands. Boom, nailed it. Sit. Wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head, even as the wife, even as uh, as the head of the wife, even as Christ. Christ is the head of the church, his body and of itself its Savior. So we we need to see that Paul is basing this off of the gospel. He's basing this off of the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is for you and I, or excuse me, you and your spouse, me and my spouse, to model, to display, to experience Christ's covenant love for us. And Paul is going, okay, wives, in this parable, you're the church. In the parable, you are the church that is saved, that is loved, that is cared for, that is lavished with grace and mercy. And then he gets to the husbands, but I want you to see that the model is Christ and the church. Now here's the objection, and I think it's a helpful one for us to look at you go, hold on. We started in verse 21. In verse 21, it says, everyone, all of us, husbands, wives, male, female, children, every single one of us as Christians, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so you might go, okay, well, hold, hold, hold on. Why do we need verse 22 through verse 24 when we have verse 21? Why in the world does it talk about wives submitting to their husbands like twice? And then in verse 21 it says, hey, everyone should submit to everyone. What, like, what's going on here? It seems almost contradictory. All of you submit to one another. Wives, come over here. Special room, actually. Submit to your own husbands. What's going on? I think we need to do two things. I, need, I think we need to define this word submission. Because I think we run to the definition of submission as, as, as in a hierarchical sense or as a, as a position of inferior to superior. To submit is to be inferior, to be less. That's not necessarily the case here. This word submit, I think the best definition, because it uses, this same word is used to refer to Christ submitting to God the Father. One is not greater. You're going to have some major theological issues if you mess with the Trinity, which maybe we need a whole sermon series on that one too. But this word submit, what does it mean? I think the most helpful definition of the word submit is to take all of your power, to take all of your authority, to take all of your resources, to take all of you, and to leverage it for the other. That's submission. Verse 21. Every single one of you, male, female, husband, wife, children, adults, bosses, employees, whoever it might be, take the power, take the authority, take the Take all of who you are and what God has given you and leverage it not for yourself, but for them. And by the way, and you've heard me say this, and, and it's because this has just radically changed our marriage and it's become a culture even with our kids. The best way to apply verse 21 is a very simple question and you should ask it every day. And husband, you should ask it twice. Sweetie, what can I do to serve you? That submission. What can I do to serve you? What can I do to serve you? I'm on my way home. What can I do to serve you? I kind of want to go sit on the couch, but what can I do to serve you? Don't wait until the dishes are done. What can I do to serve you? So, what's going on in verse 22 then? We see this submission to one another in verse 21 and then, What's going on in verse 22? Well, here's what we see for certain. Clear as day. God gives very clear, I'm going to use the word, very divine distinctions for wives and husbands. Does it not? It's it's very clear as day. Wives do this. Husbands do that. Can we agree on that? Okay, all right. Half-heartedly thank you. Thank you. Um, So what's going on? Look at verse 21. Verse 21, I would, call it a, I would call it a sweeping statement. There is no context, and there's really, there's no specific context, and there's no specific distinct reason. It, it's a, it's a, it is a blanket sweeping statement. Submit to everybody. Not just here, not just there. Every single where, submit yourself to everyone. And then the purpose, it's there, but again, it's very sweeping. Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. What's the purpose? It's a very sweeping one out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, it's different, isn't it? There is a very specific context and there is a very specific reason for it. Wives, submit to who? Wow, that was... I'm going to ask you guys to calm down. S-s-s yelling too loud today. So I'll just... Hey, clearly we don't want to participate. Wives, submit to your own husbands. We need to be clear here. This this does not say wives submit to men, wives submit to husbands. This does not say women submit to, like, you can't take this to your your workplace where you've got a woman as a boss or a CEO and go, Ha! Nope! Don't do that. And if you do, just make sure you don't tell them you're a Christian, okay? (laughs) Very bad. You don't see that in there. So this this is not, hey, women, know your role. It's not that at all. It's, hey, wives, there's a very specific context here. Submit yourselves to your own husband. Look at this next verse because it tells us the reason. This is very important. Submit yourselves to your own husband as to the Lord... For the husband, here's the reason, for the husband is the head of the wife. Now, now, don't get angry because we keep reading. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. This word head um, is referring to headship. It's another word for leadership. And here's what this is saying. This text is saying this, not Zach Dunkley, though I agree with what the Bible says here because the Bible is inspired, and I do believe this is what it's saying. This is saying, husbands, you're the head of the home. Eve eats the the apple. Adam eats it too. Who eats it first? Eve. Eve. God comes down. Eve, where are you? Eve, I got a word with you. Doesn't happen, does it? Hey, Adam. Hey, Adam. Husband. And so we need to understand what's going on in verse 22 is a particular, distinct calling for a wife for the purpose of supporting her husband in the role to lead the home. Now, I would strongly argue that most wives would not just obey this, but would rejoice in this if husbands... We faithfully pursued walking in a biblical form of headship. The reason why wives chafe against this. Now, ladies, I realize I'm speaking for you. My apologies. Let me know, and I can rephrase things next week, but I'm I'm pretty sure we're in one accord here. The reason why wives chafe against this is because husbands, can I just say, historically, either abuse this or run from this. Or just flat out lazy for this. And the wife is put in this position of going, well, if he ain't gonna lead, he's not gonna lead our family. He's not gonna spiritually lead our kids. If he's not gonna spiritually lead for me, and I, 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 would, I would just submit, submit to you that wives would rejoice over this husbands if we walked faithfully. Now, you're not going to be perfect because the example is Jesus. And if you think you're Jesus, you're not. But what is crystal clear... As God says, wives, I, I, wanna, I want you to play this role. And then husbands, you're going to want to get comfortable because I've got lots more content for you. Hey, I've got time. So I think that we, you, we will always have a hard time understanding Submission uh, without fully understanding headship, and so I want to spend the rest of our short time. I don't think there needs to be a ton of time here um, because I think it's something that um, can be very clearly preached, but can be, but where the work needs and the time needs to be put in is is husbands us striving to walk in, to walk in this faithfully. So I want to give you a definition of headship. I I believe that this is a biblical one, and I will tell you why after I read it. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to Christ-like servant leadership in the home. Through sacrificial love, spiritual guidance, nourishment, and cherishing, towards his wife or his wife. I realize that is a run-on sentence. I'm not an English major, okay? Why is this biblical? Because I took it from the Bible. So I'm going to conclude our time by singling out each phrase and just showing you where it's at. And then husbands and wives this week sit down with one another and walk through these discussions His and her questions so that you know how to apply them. Headship is the divine calling. It's not a calling. It's a divine calling. Why do I say a divine calling? Because verse 22 and verse 23, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for he is the head. So I believe it's a divine calling. And I believe scripture very clearly points that out. Husbands, you have a divine calling. The next phrase, servant, Christ like servant leadership. Where do I get that? I really get it from the whole text. What we see is a profound picture of not simply leadership, servant leadership. Christ, before he dies on the cross, is in a upper room with his disciples. And they're getting ready to eat the Passover. And somebody forgot to wash the dirty feet. Or maybe they didn't forget. They just didn't think they needed to. And so, who washes the feet? Jesus. And, and listen, listen, be reminded of that passage in John 17. Because you get to the end of that passage, verse 17, verse 18, Jesus says, do like why." I'm giving you an example. I'm not just a leadership. I'm not just a leader. I'm a servant leader. Husbands, serve your wife. Serve her. And if you don't know how to serve her, ask her. That was nervous laughter there, <laughs> or evil laughter. Come on, ladies. Through sacrificial love, I'm, I'm, these phrases are redundant. Cs. Of that phrase, Christ-like servant leadership through sacrificial love. Where do I get that? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I want to be bold here, and I just I want to say that husbands, if you do not feel like you're sacrificing for your wife, you are not loving her sacrificially. Let me say that one more time. If you do not feel that you are sacrificing for your wife, In your home, you're probably certainly not sacrificially loving. And some of us, husbands, wives, this is where we, this is where you, this is where you reenact the gospel with grace. We need your help. It's not crystal clear for us, it's just not. And it's kind married for eight years, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting hints that I'm never going to arrive. I'm just finding that I never completely understand what my wife wants. And in fairness to me, she, she doesn't know what she's going to want 10 years from now anyways. You come over to our house. Every time people come over to the house, oh, this looks different. Yeah, it is because my wife changed everything. Amen. Thank you, Cyrus. Wrong thing to amen, but I will take it. But ask her, ask her. What? Sweetie, how can what are some ways that I can sacrifice for you? We don't know husbands, or excuse me, wives. We, we, we need your help. Um, spiritual guidance. Where do I get this? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is speaking about Christ in the church, but husbands speaking about us and, and leadership in the home, I'm begging you, husbands, to lead spiritually in the home. Lead your wife spiritually. And unfortunately, I have just found that most wives, I hate this, I hate wives, don't take this wrongly, but most women have a better devotional life than their husbands. Most wives are better equipped to lead their home spiritually than you. And I'm begging you, husbands, I'm begging you to step up. And, and a, just two very practical things. Pray with your wife. Pray every night. My wife and I we just started something brand new, and I'm very excited about this. Um, we used to pray in bed as kind of our last thing, and I I i I have failed before, where I just fall asleep and we don't pray. And so we decided that let's kneel on the side of our bed and pray. Before we, you know, typically we get our ice cream and we sit in bed and we watch the show. Y'all do that too. Maybe without the ice cream, we decided it's only going to be once a week. We've made that decision before. Give us a month, we'll have it every, week, every night again. But we'd get, in, we'd get in bed and, you know, put on a show. And, the, and prayer just, I, I felt, I felt as if prayer was just kind of like, oh yeah, let's do that. And so we just, we get on our knees and we pray and we take in some sticky notes and, and we're putting them on the wall of things that we're praying for. Of course, Pinterest is going to help us and we're going to make that a lot more cuter and make a bulletin <laughs> board um, because God will clearly answer those prayers more. Um, pray with your wife, husbands. Tonight, pray with your wife. And, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to, you're, you're, you're not going to, there's going to be a night when you're not going to pray. And that's going to happen again. So when that happens, just pray the next night, okay? Don't just go, oh, I haven't done it for a week. Well, it's another week. No, 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 no. And then, husbands, I'm begging you to do this. Have your own daily quiet time. Open up the Word and just read one, one chapter and get on your knees and pray. Just, I beg you. You're, you You're not going to lead your family spiritually if you're not being led spiritually. You're going to be an absolutely empty fountain. can't pour out on your family if you're not getting poured into. I'm begging you, husbands, please do this. Please for your wife. Please for your kids. Lead. Lead spiritually. Then it says nourishment. I get that from the word nourish. It's right there in the text. Um, This word is is actually often referred to um, nourishing children. And it's not in the way that you're being a dad to your wife. I've been told I shouldn't do that. Um, But you're there to provide and to protect. You're there to take the lead of providing and protecting. You're the one who goes downstairs, checks for that noise. Or the baby monitor just keeps failing to work and you just keep on going down, like last night. You protect, provide. And then it says cherish. This word is only used two times in the whole entire New Testament. And I want to take you to the other place and kind of close there. And and it happens in 1 Thessalonians. And and I I think we better understand what this means by reading this passage. It says this. It says, um, this is not going to be up there because I didn't put it on there. Um, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother... Taking care of her child. That, that word, taking care, is actually cherished. Now, this, this, this may be weird because we're, we just went from a husbands. You're supposed to cherish your wife. And here, let me help you understand this. I'm going to give you a metaphor. And the metaphor is a mother nursing her children. But here's why I think it's helpful. It says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother, cherishing her own children. Verse 8 So, being affectionately desirous of you. I I think that's what cherishing means. Husbands, that you are affectionately desirous of your wife. Do you desire her? Do you affectionately pursue her? Not that... But her. And if you don't know how to do that, ask your wife. What does it look like for me to pursue you? This is biblical headship. Now, wives, I'm going to do something very dangerous because I don't know what the response is going to be. But, wives, if your husband faithfully pursued this, he's not going to be perfect, so give him some room. But give him some grace. But if your husband faithfully pursued this, would you rejoice in your role of submitting to that kind of headship, that kind of leadership? Just give me an amen if you agree. Amen. Okay, I'm nervous. Okay. Husbands, it starts with you. And I'm begging you, husbands, to step up in this area. Wives, I do not believe that biblical submission is for you to go, you're the head, I'm taking a step back. I believe that biblical submission is you stepping in. It is you asking your husband, hey, how can I help it's you availing yourself the privilege. And husbands, you need to do this like a good servant leader. You need to allow your wife to speak into your life. You need your wife to say, I, you know, maybe we shouldn't discipline the kids like that. Maybe we should... Here's a thought of how we could spiritually guide our family. Wives, avail yourselves the privilege to come alongside your husband and pour out your wisdom and insight that God has graciously granted to you. It is not a... It's not a... a, a, God purposefully said to Adam, I'm going to create you a helper. A a blessed helper. I am a fraction of a of the leader I ought to be in the home when Melissa is not there. It's better when she's home with me. Not that she needs to be home every moment that I'm there, but I'm a better leader in the home because my wife has availed herself the privilege to speak into my leadership. Husbands, we need to avail our wives that privilege because they've got better ideas than we do in a lot of categories. And let them decorate the house. Just, just don't exercise your headship there, okay? I just learned. And it's going to change in a month. Nah, not a month. In six months anyways. Let's pray. Father, the purpose of marriage is about displaying and experiencing your covenant love for us. May that be the mark that we pursue. May we reenact the gospel moment after moment after moment with one another. Father, would you help the husbands in this room and the men who are not married but maybe one day will? Would you please Shatter and break their hearts and their wills for the gospel. That they would find themselves literally on their knees, tears streaming down their face because of what they have in you, Jesus that we as husbands would be so blown away and so in awe and in so much wonder of the gospel that it would spill out on how we love and lead and care and nourish our wife and our families. Break the hearts of the men in this room for you, Jesus, in your glory father i have to imagine there's some there's some brokenness here there's some wives here that grew up in a home with an abusive father or are in a marriage of an abusive husband father would you intercede would you Provide a place where they can walk through that pain with, with either me as a pastor or a counselor. Do you teach them how and what it looks like to submit to a husband that is not biblically leading but is abusive? Because there is a difference. And help those wives to run to you, Jesus. And to pray for their husbands fervently. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. And as we close with this last song, offerings about ready to come around. And, and I, I do feel like it's necessary to say this because it was not addressed in this sermon. There are situations where a husband is so far off in his leadership that that wives, it's not safe for you. And you need to find help. And you need some wisdom that goes beyond this sermon, what was preached. Because it would be wrong for you to go, well, I just have to empower them in their abuse. Absolutely not. And for those wives, if there's either some pain from a previous marriage or if there's pain from a dad or if there's pain in a current marriage, I am begging you to either come and speak to me or write on your connection card and we will connect you with Bruce, who is a counselor um, that helps us here. Or if you would prefer someone else, we'll find someone for you. But it would be wrong not to point that out for those women here who are walking in I don't even know what to call it abuse. Let's let's stand and and let's raise our hands and worship as we praise the faithfulness of our God.